It is episode 27 of the Behind the Mic podcast. I know on the last one I made a baseball reference with a number. 26 is Wade Boggs. Well, we'll continue that in the spirit of baseball season. 27 was the great Colton Fisk. And when he was traded to the Chicago White Sox, he reversed that number to 72. He didn't want to keep 27. He didn't want to be affiliated with the Red Sox anymore at that time. But I think Carlton is over that. can understand why he was mad at the time. But 27 episodes, like, share, comment. Thank you so much for the love on social media, getting a lot of people on Instagram that are now following behind the mic. You can find me there, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, leave messages, share on iTunes, Spotify, and all uh, devices that carry your favorite podcast. You can find it anywhere. That's what's great about the technology. Big thanks to AnchorFM.com. That's how I do the podcast through their platform. Send me an email, cdogsradio at gmail.com. Brandon Casper developed that song, by the way, and it's, it's fresh today. We change it up just a bit, but that intro is money. And I love it. Just a few minutes here, I'll sit down and um, I'm going to play you. Well, I'm standing up right now. I'm going to sit down and play you my conversation with Alex Spear from the Boston Globe at the Portland Sea Dogs 2020 Hot Stove Dinner. I, I wanted to first comment on the XFL because my thoughts on the XFL back in the day, I thought it was a good product. I think people have exaggerated how bad that the product was. I think we were in a time where not many people liked Vince McMahon. Uh, people were skeptical about wrestling. But I thought considering you're trying to make an alternate league of the NFL, which is very hard to do. I thought Vince did a pretty good job the first time around. But what I've noticed, and I was skeptical this time around because the AAF did not work, partly because... You know, I think the first excuse was it's too close to the NFL season, which was true. Now, Vince went through the same thing. He's starting a week after a terrific Super Bowl involving Pat Mahomes, Jimmy Garoppolo, and the NFL right now. I mean, every season's great. The Super Bowls are great. He had to start a week after, and he had to relaunch something that, well, technically didn't work the first time around. But what is great about it? I think the players are better you know, first and foremost, they're not superstars by any means. But one thing that Vince does, I think, that might be better than the NFL right now, he puts on a terrific TV show. The production. There's little secrets in movies and TV if you watch the game closely. Some of the things that you see in TV shows and in movies, one, one outside the characters, sets our characters in movies colors, uh, the way that you cut the camera, the way you fade away. When you watch the XFL, the football is different. The team names, I think, are powerful, are cool. They're in good cities. The colors are good. So the set design is great. Then the production on TV is absolutely terrific. Hearing the coaches talk, some of the rule changes, the replay, the TV show, the TV side and the production side of the of the XFL, I think it's more enjoyable than the NFL. The things that they've innovated, the NFL is going to steal a ton of these things. Vince puts on a great show. He he is really terrific at, at this. And now what is huge in this is that the Daily Fantasy community has gotten heavily involved. You can play FanDuel and DraftKings. Uh, 
XFL games. You could not do that with the AAF, or maybe you could, but it didn't last that long, so I don't remember. But there's being big money now exchanged, and the overall production of it is awesome. And I think that's where the XFL is really standing out right now. Uh, I want to get to some quick points in the NBA. I think whatever they did to, to change things with players and the salaries and max contracts, every team has got a core of stars, and I'm loving it. I'm loving watching Portland Trailblazer games to Atlanta Hawks. You know, the Hawks aren't great, but they've got Trey Young and, and Jason Collins and, of course, the Boston Celtics, my team. But I, I really like it because I feel like every team's got a couple of stars, even Indiana, uh, Sabonis. You know, I enjoy watching him. So I, I really feel like the NBA, I, the NHL, um, I, I really think sports is a lot better now than people think. And, you know, I'm going to save some baseball stuff till we get into the season. Uh, I do want to get to Alex Spear again in a few minutes, but I want to circle back on Daily Fantasy. If you've not tried uh, an app, to win some daily fantasy money, I suggest that you, you try Superdraft. Now, I don't, I'm not a spokesperson for them, and, and I don't know if they would let me do that, but Superdraft, instead of salaries, use multipliers. So a player that's really good, he will really only get one or 1.2 times his fantasy out point, but when you take some dart throws, those guys get two times. Try that. So you can play anyone you want, but it's multipliers determine the score. And I think it's a lot of fun. All right. I mean, let's get away from the gambling. But, you know, I like to talk about that. This was a great interview from the 2020 Sea Dogs Hot Stove Dinner. It's Alex Spear. Alex, thanks for coming up. I do want to get to the book. It's, it's terrific. I don't want to give it away for people who have not read it. But what inspired you to do this? So in thinking about I, I hadn't gone, I hadn't planned to do a book on, on the subject of of that major league team. The, the first thing that kind of caught my attention was actually a team that Michael Chavis was on. Back in 2015, uh, after the Red Sox had signed Yohan Moncada, it made him the most expensive prospect in baseball history. Uh, he was joining a really special group in Greenville. Single A, so they have a, they have a ways to go. But he was, he was going to an infield that included Michael, who was, who was the first-round pick the previous year, and Mauricio Dubon, who was coming from out of nowhere to become a really interesting prospect, and Rafael Devers, who was an 18-year-old prodigy, and, you know, other guys such as Nick Longy and Jalen Beeks, and Michael Kopech was on that team. Anderson Espinosa joined it, Andrew Benintendi. So I thought, this is a talented group. It's insane that one team has that many players who have a chance to be really good big leaguers. And I bet that if you spent the next five years, seven years following their lives, you could learn an awful lot about what player development looks like, what life in the minor leagues looks like, what an organization looks like. And it turned out that they beat my timetable by a little bit because by the time 2018 rolled around, not only were there some of Michael's teammates in the big leagues on a, on a team that was about to win a, a championship and you know, set records in terms of Red Sox wins totals, but they were going to be joining another homegrown group that had preceded it by a couple of years that had already been through Portland. Some of you guys will remember the 2014 Sea Dogs that on opening day featured Mookie Betts going four for four, opening day home run, Henry Owens throwing a no-hitter on opening day, Blake Swihart, you know, Xander Bogarts and Jackie Bradley had been through Portland the previous year. There were these two different waves that were so interesting to look at their entire experience and their entire trajectories in professional baseball that, you know... That was what struck me. There had been, they had gone through so much. They had grown so much from teenagers to these players who had become exceptional players 
on the field in the biggest games imaginable. And then there were people like Joe Oliver who had spent time trying to help them and sometimes probably beating himself on the head trying to do so. Uh, there were challenges that were associated with people who cared about these players, not just for what they could do on the field, but about who they were becoming. And so that's, that's kind of the idea behind, behind the book, looking at the Red Sox over the course of what I, I view as a really interesting eight-year period. Yeah, and as you know, with having prospects and, and there's a list of players that you potentially will go up and they're talked about, but this wave of guys, it's not normal to have what happens for all of them to go up. An extraordinary number of them reached their ceilings, which doesn't happen. Again, the, the idea of, you know, of having prospects is that you know, people say prospects will break your heart, and often that's true. Uh, it's really, baseball is a very, very difficult game. There's a reason why there are a number of levels that intercede between a player getting drafted and reaching the major leagues, and each one of those is successively more challenging, more daunting, and funnels out more and more of those standout young talents. I mean, there's... What a, Michael will remember Anderson Espinoza, who was a mind-boggling talent uh, that was coming through the Red Sox system with that wave in 2015. And he, the Red Sox traded him for Drew Pomerantz in 2016, and he, he blew out when he got to the Padres. He subsequently blew out again. And, you know, we're, it, it would be just great to see him on a mound again, but it's been years since that's happened. It's really hard to go from the time being a standout amateur who dominates in high school or college to becoming someone who can excel or even reach the big leagues. Join the Globe in 2015, Red Sox beat writer, and it's also good to see you on Nesson. I know you get to do some stuff during the games. Yeah, well, you know, Eck is, uh, you know, Joe Oliver and I share contact with Eck, and uh, I, I don't know if he's, uh, I don't know how I'd be tripping at you, but, you know, getting a nickname from Dennis Eckersley, having him call me Stat Masterson, yeah. is probably the greatest <laughs> accomplishment of my career. Eck, Eck needs to go into some kind of business with all the his verbiage is it's outstanding. One of a kind. I can't believe that he hasn't like you know other people keep producing these actionaries and yeah. why hasn't he marketed this thing? Yeah, he, yeah I don't know. It's There's great. an opportunity there. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a jersey that says Stat Masterson? No? no, I have a. I have a. Well, when I when I was honored when I when I had the great privilege of being able to throw out a first pitch with the Z Dogs, I wore my Stat Masterson hat, which was a uh, a present to me upon the publication oh, of the that's book. Great. Alex is heavily involved in what's going on in the minor leagues. I mean, being on the Red Sox beat, I mean, a lot of you guys now have a pulse here. I think Theo really brought excitement. I started here in 2005 when we had Papelbon, Lester, and Pedroia, and it's, it really boomed, and it wasn't covered as much. And now it's, it's, it's a big deal, the minor leagues. Yeah, well, my, I, I started covering the Red Sox farm system for Baseball America back in 2008, and so my... Interest became increasingly focused on it, but you're right, Theo Epstein, you know, when he came over and talked about building the scouting and player development machine, that was a different way of thinking about how to build Red Sox teams, at least at that time. The Red Sox had come through a 10-year period where it was largely building through veteran free agent signings and not heavily through internal options, and that, that changed, and it was important to take stock of how that was changing because in order to understand how the roster was being built year after year, and at that time, by, you know, coming off of that 2005 Sea Dogs team, unbelievable. John Lester, Jonathan Papelbon, Manny Del Carmen, Annabelle Sanchez in the opening day rotation, right? That's, that's crazy in a double-A affiliate. Um, the Red Sox were really building around that group. So it became important to understand 
what that meant, what the commitment to the scouting and player development machine meant. And then it was undercovered at the time, and so I was trying to find my own way as a reporter. I, I, I was working another full-time job and trying to make 20 bucks here and there writing articles. So uh, there, there, was an un, there was an opportunity because people were overlooking this extraordinary wave of talent that was forming in the Red Sox system. Um, and, you know, over, over time they paid more attention to it. Yeah, I mean, but people know of all the players now. Uh, I'll have questions of guys that were in Greenville. When are we going to see this guy? Uh, Tristan Cassis has already come up now. In, you know, before 2005, that would never have happened. Yeah, well, the, the opportunity to follow what's happening on a day-to-day -day basis in the minor leagues is radically different than it was 10 years ago, five years ago. And, you know, we, we were able to see video of this giant 19-year-old Tristan Cassis who, you know, looks like, you know, I, I don't know, like a giraffe or something in the batter's box, you know, launching 450-foot rockets. And so all of a sudden it captures your imagination and it, it, it does create an accessibility. Michael Chavis with an opening day walk-off in Greenville back in 2015. You know, things like that. You can pick up on them. You can connect with them, connect with players at a very early point in their career so that you can, you know, it's, it's not just imagining a rumored name. It's there, there's something there. I, I think what's great about baseball, everyone involved, yourself on the beat. I mean, you're at the ballpark. It's just like being a player, coach, front office. What's your schedule like? I mean, I know it's, it's pretty intense for those that don't know. I'm sure it's not. You know, Mike Regan knows that, it's, knows that my life is nothing like that of a front <laughs> office guy, for better and worse. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the commitment is total to the profession. Um, I, I have a great family, and I... I try to make sure that during the season I'm, I am spending as much time invested in their days and well-beings as I can before 8.30 in the morning. Uh, and then after that, I'm probably not going to see them again until the next morning at 6.30 because I'll be at the ballpark until, you know, midnight, um, you know, working on stories, trying to come up with ideas, trying to pay attention to games and seeing something interesting, paying, trying to appreciate the fact that on any given day at a ballpark, you have a, an opportunity to see something you've never seen before, um, and to experience something pretty exciting. Isn't that the best thing about baseball, that you can literally, it doesn't matter how many years you've been doing it? The thrill of the unexpected, absolutely. It keeps refreshing itself, renewing itself in all kinds of forms, some of them more, some of them more enjoyable than others, but it's, uh, it, the, it is worthwhile because it is unexpected. Tell us how you got your start. I was at a failing internet company, needed to take stock of what my next move was and thought that I should actually start thinking about something I wanted to do rather than just something that was available. So um, I started writing just on my own without, uh, without not, not for any money or anything, um, writing some articles for any place on the internet that would publish them while also working a full-time job uh, at, uh, at a university in order to have healthcare and um, and an income, and, uh, and over the course, it took six years of doing that uh, before I got a full-time job with WEI.com back in yeah. 2008, but um, it, was, uh, it, it was a really valuable life experience. And you became Stat Masterson, and that's <laughs> part of the From humble beginnings. Yeah. <laughs> and I know you've worked for some really good publications as well, in addition to, to EI and the Globe, right? Yeah, I've, I've been fortunate to be published in, uh, in places that I couldn't have imagined being published in back in... You know, back in 2002 when I first started doing this, you know, whether it was getting stuff published on ESPN.com or uh, with Baseball America, which, again, has been such an important part of my career. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I feel very fortunate to, uh, to have had anyone care about what I've been writing um, and to be able to do it for this long means a lot.
If you had, can you tell us like a favorite interview, or are they all are they all fun? Or do you have one that really stands out? Uh, there, there are some that stand out for different reasons. I mean, the, anyone who remembers Ryan Westmoreland yes. uh, and what a special talent he was, what a special person he is, um, the opportunity to talk to him about some of the life challenges that he had gone through in the wake of multiple brain surgeries meant, you know, his willingness to share his story meant a lot. The same was true of Anthony Rizzo back when he was, you know, when, yeah. when he was just returning from cancer uh, after the 2008 season and meeting this super impressive 18-year-old kid who was talking about, you know, really challenging life experiences. I mean, it's, it, it inspires you, you know, it's part of the reason why we're at this event tonight um, because, you know, those people who are willing to share their stories about the extraordinary challenges they've gone through in life, like, can reshape the way that you see the world. Well said, yeah. How about when you have to cover another sport? Once I'll see you at a Patriots game, and I'm always wondering, because it's so different. I know the environment in the locker room after an NFL loss is completely different than baseball. Yeah, it's great because I, I don't have to pretend I have any idea what I'm doing, whereas most of the time I don't have any idea what I'm doing in a, in a baseball clubhouse, but, you know, I, I have to at least fake it. So there's yeah. pressure there, whereas, you know, throw me in a different sport and that can be, uh, I can be uh, admittedly clueless and uh, no one's complaining. Those are very common words in, our, in, in baseball. <laughs> we say that a lot. Nobody has any idea what we're doing, yeah. Yeah, fair we're enough. Still at it. Yeah. Well, Alex, it was great having you at Hadlock this year. You, you came up and you threw a good first pitch. It, it made it to it, it made it without bouncing to the intended target. So I view that as a, yeah. as a success. My neither my nine year old nor my five year old were humiliated. They did not disown me. They got to meet Slugger. Good night all around. But there's no pressure anymore, you know. Yeah. Whew. Well, I thank you for coming up and continue. Uh, just doing great stuff. I really enjoy your work. And, you, and you've also become a good friend, too, which I really appreciate that. Well, I, I truly appreciate your friendship. Your, you know, your history with the Sea Dogs is extraordinary. And I, I truly love coming up to Portland. This is you know, one of my family's favorite areas to, to spend any time in. Uh, the community that surrounds the Sea Dogs is, is really amazing. And so we, it means a lot to us anytime we have a chance to connect with you and, guys. And buy the book, too, right? Yeah. <laughs> Please do. Read it, you know, read it, criticize me, and, uh, you know, but hopefully enjoy it. And, uh, you know, those who pay attention to the Sea Dogs do so because they appreciate the story of how players become what they eventually become. And so hopefully, hopefully the book resonates in some way. That, uh, Thanks, Alex. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. That wraps up episode 27, the Carlton Fisk episode in his days with the Boston Red Sox. Remember to email me, Radio at gmail.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm on TikTok right now, at the Radio Mike on TikTok, and that's also my uh, personal Twitter as well. But want those comments, want those shares. A big shout to Josh uh, from Black Bear Sports. He had me on his podcast this week. Check it out. Peace and love. I'll tell you.